Hey, this that Eastside Johnny Big Redemption life. Know what I'm talking about? Hold up. Whoa, 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 whoa. I bet you didn't think we were going to hear this song today, did you? What is up, Doll fans? And welcome into the Monday, the Victory Monday, December the 30th edition of the Locked On Dolphins podcast. I am your host, Travis Wingfield. And as always, I am here to bring you your daily dose of Miami Dolphins football. And on today's show, there are just two days left in the calendar year. No more games left in this season. And we are recapping what was far and away the most enjoyable day of football on the calendar calendar this season from a Miami Dolphins perspective. We'll get you guys five takeaways from the win over the New England Patriots. We'll evaluate the individual performances and set the stage for the draft with the order just about set and how Miami's foundation is now firmly in place ahead of this crucial yet promising offseason. And we'll review the Clemson, Ohio State thriller from Saturday night. All of that and more. But first, before any of it, I kindly invite each and every one of you to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts. Leave us a rating leave us a review you can follow me on twitter at wingfield nfl voted the number one follow on dolphins twitter by dolphins twitter you can follow the show at locked on fins and of course LockedOnDolphins.com for all your daily written content we have a lot to get to in the show we're gonna go long that's just how it's gonna be let's go ahead and jump right in that's another You know, I wasn't going to do a takeaways from this podcast if Miami got blown away, but maybe rather a season-long takeaways, but they went out there and beat the New England Patriots soundly at Gillette Stadium for the first time since 2008, the Wildcat game with Chad Pennington, Ronnie Brown against Matt Castle, and the last time the Dolphins won the AFC East. In fact, the last time a team besides New England won the AFC East in that fantastic 11-5 season, but the Dolphins close out the 2019 campaign with a victory over the New England Patriots 27 to 24. The Dolphins do it by winning their fifth game in their last nine games. And our first takeaway from this contest on Sunday in Foxborough is just the level of competition the Dolphins showed in this game. These guys compete tooth and nail for this head coach. They played inspired and flat out played better than the New England Patriots, who a lot of folks think could be a Super Bowl team. The Dolphins now register three wins as double digit underdogs, two wins over division champions in the Philadelphia. Eagles and the New England Patriots. They finished 5 and 11, which by the way was greater than the expectation for this team before they lost Laramie Tunzel, Kenny Stills, Kenyon Drake, and Minka Fitzpatrick, Xavier Howard, Bobby McCain, Rashad Jones, Preston Williams. Do I need to go on? This team has completely bought into the program, into the message of Brian Flores, and it's not just his leadership that's getting it done. The structure of the defense had Tom Brady fooled in this game several times. They also won in the trenches battle up front on defense, getting plenty of push in the passing game. Now, the Patriots did find some success on the ground in that second half, but the Dolphins did control the trenches basically through the first two and a half, three quarters of the game, and the Dolphins' passing game had success against the league's best defense As New England averaged allowing 15 first downs per game, Miami had 26. The Patriots had 36 takeaways, good for 2.4 average per game. The Dolphins did not turn the football over. Ryan Fitzpatrick had the third highest passer rating and the third highest yards per attempt against the Patriots defense for any quarterback they faced this season behind just Deshaun Watson and Lamar Jackson. This team is playing for Ryan Fitzpatrick, but mostly they're playing for Brian Flores and the way he's been able to get these guys up to rally after that 0-6 start. Oh boy, I need a cigarette because this coaching staff has me excited for the future. More excited than I've been in a long, long time. 
The second takeaway will go back in the other direction. Just too many mistakes in this game. Quite frankly, Miami dominated the box score for most of the game and probably should have been able to put this game away early in the fourth quarter, maybe even late in the third, but there were still too many mistakes from this Dolphins operation. Maybe it's a lack of talent. Perhaps that gets better next year when about half the roster is overturned and the roster is infused with quality free agents and young players at the premium positions with premium picks that can come in and make the difference. They dropped too many passes again, two drops on that final drive, and a blown or rather a botched snap as Daniel Kilgore fired the ball into Fitzpatrick's lap and it almost turned out to be a turnover, but Fitzpatrick fell on it. They had some miscommunication. The first pass to Isaiah Ford at the pylon I thought should have been a touchdown pass, but he and Fitzpatrick were not on the same page. There was a little bit too much grabbing going on in the secondary with the Dolphins defensive backs. These mistakes almost cost Miami a win. Luckily, it did not because the Dolphins secured their fifth win of the season with a 16.5 point underdog win, the highest spread overcome in the last 30 years in the NFL. But takeaway number two, still too many mistakes. Takeaway number three in this game, Devontae freaking Parker against Stephon Gilmore, who is unanimously thought to be the best cornerback in the league because, well, he is. And I mean, my goodness, the ultimate test for Parker in this breakout season. Is this guy for real? Is he just chewing up bad secondaries like B.W. Webb of the Cincinnati Bengals? No, he's not. He goes for 1,200 yards and nine touchdowns. Both of those are going to be top 10 in the NFL this season, and he just took care of Stephon Gilmore, the best cornerback in the NFL, putting up most of those stats against him, including a mossing of Stephon Gilmore on that final drive, on that game-winning touchdown drive. Man, that guy is a man-beater for this team on the perimeter and is going to be a huge part, a huge cog of this offense going forward. And guess what? They got him for $10 bucks a year. Robbie freaking Anderson's going to get that on the open market. We got Devontae Parker, a top 10 receiver for that price. Kudos again to the coaching staff and the front office. The fourth takeaway, so many afterthoughts on this roster coming into the year. Now you have several of those guys that look like full-blown studs and you have guys that are maybe uncovered gems that can give you a role on the offense or defense. Of course, Parker, his fourth 100-yard game this season, and it all came in the last seven games down the stretch since Miami started to win all those games. Eric Rowe, the big pick six, some more great coverage as well in this game. He looks like a stud safety going forward, but then you have the Andrew Van Ginkles. Those guys contributing late in certain roles off the edge as pass rushers, setting the edge in the running game. There are so many parts of this team. I'll give a count sometime this week, and we'll go over the guys that I think are going to stick long-term into 2020 and beyond, but I think Andrew Van Ginkle proved a lot of the things in this game that I thought about him coming into the season as a rookie before he got hurt, but Miami did so well to uncover these guys. John Jenkins, Zach Sealer, maybe even Tay Hayes in that secondary playing competitive ball in this game. Kudos to the Dolphins for finding some gems with all those roster changes. And the fifth takeaway, this to me was the best road game for a Dolphins quarterback since Chad Pennington in 2008 going up to New England. Even with that snap and the drop issues and virtually no running game, the Dolphins only ran the ball for 63 yards. Patrick Laird was under two yards per carry again, and Samaji P. Ryan was just a smidge over three yards per carry. He threw with timing, anticipation, accuracy. He's smart. 
We mentioned the top YPA yards per attempt and passer rating other than Deshaun Watson and Lamar Jackson for any quarterback facing that Patriots defense this year. 10 times this year, the Patriots held a quarterback or a passing game under 200 yards. Fitzpatrick eclipsed that in the third quarter of this game. This dude has played like a top 10 quarterback all year. And if you don't want to believe my quarterback evaluations, I guess that's all right. The guy I loved last year only went on this year to play at an MVP level. So what the hell do I know? But those are my five takeaways. I think this team's future, guys, is so freaking bright under Brian Flores and even next year under Ryan Fitzpatrick. And we're going to come back and talk more about the individuals on the other side of the podcast. But first... Like the rest of us, I bet you're going into 2020 thinking about what you didn't get around to in 2019 and all your goals and resolutions for the new year. If you want to work towards being your best self in 2020, understand more about the world around you and make sure you're spending your time at the maximum efficiency, then Blinkist is for you. Blinkist is for anyone who cares about learning but doesn't have a lot of time to do so. Blinkist takes the key insights from over 3,000 nonfiction bestsellers in over 27 categories and condenses them down into 15-minute blinks, which are text and audio explainers that help you understand more about the core ideas of each book. It's basically Cliff's Notes for the future. Use blinks to get into a topic quickly, find new topics to grow from, or figure out which books you want to spend more time reading or listening to completion. I like Blinkist because as a student, it helped me get my work done faster. And with the crazy schedule I have here on the podcast as a writer on Twitter and at school, I needed information expedited to me. And that's why I used Blinkist. It's the best choice out there for consolidated, condensed information right into your eardrums. Right now, Blinkist has a special offer just for our audience. Go to Blinkist.com slash locked on to start your free seven day trial and get 25% off a Blinkist premium membership. That's Blinkist, spelled B-L-I-N-K-I-S-T, Blinkist.com slash locked on to get 25% off and a seven-day free trial, Blinkist.com slash locked on. You guys know the drill on the Sunday recap podcast. This is our last one of the year, the last one until September when the Dolphins ultimately take the field again for the 2020 season. But there is so much optimism brewing right now around this team. And we'll go to the article up on LockedOnDolphins.com, already published for you guys, giving you all the video insights, the statistical breakdowns of this game. It's up live on LockedOnDolphins.com. And we start in the lead of that article talking about Stephen Ross and how he addressed the the media or the fan base or just everybody that would listen at the end of the 2018 season, the reassignment of Mike Tannenbaum, the promotion of Chris Greer, the dismissal of Adam Gase, and he talked about insanity doing the same thing over and over again and for the first 10 years of his ownership of this team, he took the accountability for taking that approach and now he's taking a different approach and we saw the emphatic culmination of the end of phase one of the most intricate rebuild plan in the history of the league and Ross has to feel so vindicated because with this coaching staff, the two discrepancies of these rosters in this game, it's been our message, our battle cry all year. Getting production from this roster is such a testament to the coaching staff, the leadership, the staff assembly of Brian Flores. And today on Sunday, Ross has to feel ultimate vindication because it looks like he hit the coaching search 550 feet over the left field bleachers and into oncoming traffic. At least that's how it goes at Safeco Field. You have to hit a monster shot. I know it's T-Mobile Park, Noah. 
but it's always going to be Safeco to me. But he hit that bomb over the Safeco field sign in left field, and it was very evident by the way the Dolphins dominated the box score in this game. Miami outgained New England 389 to 350. They didn't have the rushing game once again. The Patriots go for a buck 35 to Miami 63. The Dolphins smash New England in the passing game department, 326 to 215. That's cute, Brady. The Dolphins converted five of 13 third or fourth down conversions. That's 38.5%. And the Pats converted three out of nine. That's 33%. Miami was the fewer penalized team in the league with four, in the game with four penalties for 35 yards. Patriots had six for 54 yards. The Dolphins were sacked twice in the game and had one sack on Brady from Trent Harris. And the Dolphins won time of possession, 34 minutes to 26 minutes. And the buy-in we get from Brian Flores. I talked about it at that Jets game that I was at, seeing the team in the locker room, seeing the way the media personnel or the team personnel, I should say, interacts with his coach, interacts with his team, the energy of a one and seven football team. Then you could see something special brewing. You could see a confident bunch that was excited about going forward under this coaching staff, under this regime. And the continuation of success this season is even more impressive when you consider all the injuries and transactions that force the Dolphins into those record-breaking numbers we talk about here on the podcast all the time. They beat the Eagles as 10-point dogs. They beat the Colts on the road as 11-point dogs. And now, we talked about it already, 30 years of professional football. The last time somebody won as a 16.5-point underdog on the road, the Dolphins pulled off that miracle, beating the Patriots up and down the field. 26 first downs in the game, zero turn turnovers for the Dolphins offense and this surge is not exclusive to week 17 as the Dolphins have been a top half of the league offense basically since Fitzpatrick got back into the lineup and now that the dust has all settled from the action on Sunday Miami will pick fifth in April's 2020 NFL Draft. That number cannot move. We'll talk more about that, the Pittsburgh pick, the Houston pick in the third segment. But let's go ahead now and talk about how this team got to 5-4 and four over the last nine games with 15 draft picks to come in April and the most free agent spending cash there is available out there. We start at the quarterback position. What more can you say about Ryan Fitzpatrick? The Dolphins' 326 net passing yards was the most against New England since Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs went up and down the field against the Patriots last Last October in 2018, that research courtesy of Brett, and I'm going to butcher this, Brett Chisholm from the Dolphins PR department or the Dolphins communication department. Ryan Fitzpatrick's season ends with 3,529 yards, the most since Ryan Tannehill in 2015, and he led the team in rushing, and you just could not have asked for more of Ryan Fitzpatrick this season. That game-winning 75-yard march was just a thing of beauty. He extended plays once again with his legs, ran for another touchdown, got off the spot against that Patriots vaunted pass rush, threaded tight windows. He threw with anticipation right in the absence of those New England blitzes, and that was such a missing ingredient for this Dolphins offense for so many years going into New England. That pass rush, the confusing blitz scheme just crumbled Ryan Tannehill and every quarterback inferior to him for the Dolphins, but Fitzpatrick stood in there and made some absolute beautiful plays, some beautiful throws. The dig route to Devontae Parker against that zero blitz was just a chef's kiss thing of beauty and he did all of this with the PFF number 32 ranked offensive line in the league and next year coming back with a full year in the offseason program hopefully a much better roster around him man I think the ceiling is the limit here for Ryan Fitzpatrick who could really really expand upon a top 10 performance for me at quarterback this season the tailbacks not much to write home about I think Patrick Laird's lack of pass protection ability is going to be a very very big prohibitor as far as him getting playing time going forward he does 
have that nice patience and smooth vision to work some holes and set up his blocks down the field in the screen game. He had almost nothing going in the rushing game, 48 yards on four pass catches. And I thought Samaj P. Ryan ran hard and looked good on his five carries, a little bit of short area burst and wiggle to set those blocks up after the mesh point. But all things told, just not a whole lot to talk about with this Dolphins ground game. But we will talk about two absolute studs in the college game in the next segment. At the wide receiver position, we talked about Devontae Parker. And coming into the year, you would have taken 16 games from Devontae Parker and said, okay, that's worth it. But he went above and beyond that. 1,200 yards, nine touchdowns, both of those top 10 in the NFL, four 100-yard games over the last seven starts, and winning a matchup against Stephon Gilmore. And there were national guys tweeting out all day long that Devontae Parker just ruined Stephon Gilmore's defensive player of the year candidacy award winning opportunity that didn't make sense we'll leave it in the show but how great is that to hear the Dolphins come in here and take away a guy who was playing as good as any other defender in the league take away his recognition as the best defensive player in the league because he couldn't stop Devontae Parker in a crucial game for the Patriots choice choice season from DeParker I can't wait to see what he does next year Albert Wilson had a case of the dropsies in this game. He really could have taken that drag route, which was such a well-conceived play to get him on coverage against a Patriots defensive lineman. And Fitzpatrick did so well to navigate the pocket and get that ball in position for a big play. Wilson couldn't catch it. I think he might have had two or three drops in the game. Still had five catches for 59 yards. And the Dolphins really wanted to attack that slot position. And Isaiah Ford was the better player at that position. Caught seven for 54. Some crucial third down conversions. Had a chance for a touchdown, but he and Fitzpatrick on the wrong page for that play. I think he might be a fit here long-term in this receiver rotation because this Dolphins receiver core, man, it looks good. Mike Gesicki caught the game-winning touchdown on what I think was probably the best route he's ran as a professional, winning inside on Patrick Chung. He stacked him, leaned into him, gave a little shake at the top of the route, and then boxed him out to bring in the game-winning touchdown catch. It's up on the LockdownDolphins.com article. Go check that out. His versatility on display all day in this game, running seams and slants, but also leaking out into the flat for run-after-the-catch opportunities. His season comes to an end with 51 catches, 570 yards, and five touchdowns, and and best of all, he was almost never asked to stay in and pass protect. On the offensive line, again, like the tailbacks, not a lot to write home about here. I think Jesse Davis is the only option to come back and start next year at right tackle. I think he has some moments. He gets beat here and there. But Kyle Van Noy and Donta Hightower and the confusing Patriots rush scheme up front is difficult for a tackle to handle. He got beat with speed off that edge a couple times, but managed to recover and get himself back into a position to shield and wall off the quarterback and give Fitzpatrick a chance to make a play. The other four positions, they're just all problems and we'll leave it at that. On the other side of the ball, the Patriots only had 15 first downs themselves, converted just 33% of their third down plays. And a lot of that had to do with Miami's early dominance in the trenches, punctuated by Devon Godshaw, who I think had his best game of the year. He was in the backfield with regularity, had four tackles by doing so. And there was a great video of him just dominating the Patriots right guard in this game on a particular rep. The other player alongside him, the versatility of he and Christian Wilkins to play the nose, to play the backside one tech, the front side three tech, maybe the four technique up over the offensive tackle or up over the guard and the two technique in the bare front. Either way, they find a way to win with power and the combination of quickness and power for Christian Wilkins resulted in him ragdolling Marcus Cannon, the Patriots right tackle. And that combination is going to make him a good player for years to come. 
Zach Sealer did not have the big game like he did last week, but my goodness, I think the most impressive rep on that defensive line went to him. Go ahead and check out the video thread on LockedOnDolphins.com. Just absolutely manhandles a guy with his length and strength and power to get over the top. John Jenkins doesn't get a lot of publicity in this defense, a byproduct of him being a non-pass rushing interior lineman, but like Wilkins and Godshaw, he is both powerful and versatile. At the linebacker position, Andrew Van Ginkle. My goodness, this was the guy I saw in training camp and on tape at Wisconsin, his understanding and preparation work to pick up the route concepts and get himself in the passing lane to disrupt the passing game of the opposition is a lot of fun to watch. I think that's going to be a key trait for him going forward. And he can pair that with really good rush skills off that edge because he got back into the backfield several times. But the number one thing I took away from this game for Van Ginkle, that stuff validated who I thought he was coming out of college. But he did some stuff in this game that I thought were just complete weaknesses in his game, beating blocks, coming off the weak side C-gap. The Patriots tried pulling a backside guard. That crap didn't work. He beat those blocks, made the plays. Seven tackles. What a game for the rookie from Wisconsin. Trent Harris, I thought, was a problem in this game, especially off the right tackle. He had a big sack, got close several other times, and showed you what you want from Taco and Charles Harris, two guys that were not playing in this game barely at all. Taco and inactive, and I don't recall seeing Charles Harris out there at all, even though he was, in fact, active for this game. The other linebacker of note, Jerome Baker, had nine tackles again in this game. He gets caught in the wash now and then, but my goodness, does his speed really pop off the page when you watch him. He's so adept at chasing sideline to sideline. He can cover, but still the rush skill set and the ability to run over blockers as he blitzes, it's just not there, and it makes me wonder what his position will be in this defense going forward into 2020. In the defensive backfield, an absolutely beautiful homecoming for Eric Rowe. His pick six in the game was the difference. He showcased the ability to cover any potential pass catcher in the offense, whether it's a tailback, a tight end, or a receiver. The Dolphins got an absolute bargain on this dude. What a steal going forward with Eric Rowe. Tay Hayes, I thought, competed in this game very strong. He was chirping, and rightfully so, and I really liked the way he defended a third down pass into the end zone, undercutting a corner route, making the window very small for Tom Brady, and he was just chirping all day long. He and Nate Brooks both were getting after it with their mouths and their play. Montre Hardage was around the football a few times, nearly had the walk-off interception on Tom Brady and Nick Needham, a quiet day in the passing game, not targeted all that much, but he did get himself in on five tackles in this game. All right, we have plenty more to come here in the third segment, including some college football talk, Miami's updated draft order for 2020, and the foundation laid in year number one under Brian Flores. All of that and more, but first, this word from DoorDash. Whether it's a long day at work or a tough day at school, maybe you're still stuck in the office or away from home, treat yourself to the meal you deserve and have your favorite restaurants come to you with DoorDash. Your sweatpants are on for the day, but you don't want that microwave leftovers or frozen pizza crap. Just enter DoorDash, restaurant quality food with a living room dress code. DoorDash connects you to your favorite restaurants in your city. Ordering is easy. Just open the DoorDash app, choose what you want to eat, and your food will be delivered to you wherever you are. Not only is your favorite pizza joint already on DoorDash, but there are over 340,000 restaurants in 3,300 cities, so you might find a new favorite too. With door-to-door delivery in all 50 states and Canada, go Cam Wake, order from your local go-tos or choose your favorite national restaurants like Chipotle, Wendy's, Chick-fil-A, 
and the Cheesecake Factory. Don't worry about dinner. Let dinner come to you with DoorDash. Right now, our listeners can get $5 off their first order of 15 bucks or more when you download the DoorDash app and enter promo code Locked On. That's $5 off your first order when you download the DoorDash app from the App Store and enter promo code Locked On. Don't forget, that's promo code Locked On for $5 off your first order from DoorDash. So we're going to have my creativity challenged a lot in the coming weeks and months because we're going to get out of the routine from a normal week of podcast. We will have the film review and aftermath this week for you guys. But then after that, with no more games, it's going to be all about the off season. And I have tons of stuff planned for you guys here on this platform and maybe some others, but the final segment of the recap article up on LockedOnDolphins.com, Student Becomes the Teacher, Flores Beats Belichick, a Finns Pats Review. My third and final segment going over to the individuals is the foundation set. Now for the fun stuff, and every season in the NFL is about wins first and foremost. We know that. Just win, 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 baby. And Miami, to its own credit, however, Their self-evaluation, your self-scouting is the most important thing you can do. And they knew going into this offseason, doing the standard operating procedure of the last decade, that a Super Bowl wasn't in the cards. So really, what's the difference between a nine-win season, maybe an early playoff exit, a six-win season, or what we had this year, where you tear it down and you still find a way to win five games because your coach is just too awesome? Well, the Dolphins looked at all that, and they found a way to get creative in the measures they took to maximize their own assets. They got exchange rates way above market value, and the Dolphins have now accomplished multiple feats that none of these other sub-500 teams, none of these other teams in the top portion of the draft, they don't have it. The Dolphins discovered their next, the next great coach in the league, I should say, and there is much more for Brian Flores to accomplish in this league, but the energy in the locker room is proof that every person on that roster believes in Flores' message, and that message does not stop at the roster. It's a unilateral belief inside the walls at the facility in Davie, and Flores' weekly acknowledgement of the cafeteria staff, the grounds crew staff, the security. This guy is such a genuine article of a man, and the absolute picture of what he preaches, the Dolphins got it right, guys, and it's so exciting to watch, and leadership might not even be his greatest strength. His scheme and staff assembly are a close runner-up as the Dolphins' offense consistently found a way to move the football under Chad O'Shea with all those those shortcomings on the offensive end and a no-name defense that put the clamps on a Tom Brady Patriots-led offense on Sunday. Establishing the expectation was perhaps a secondary goal alongside giving the organization all these necessary resources to rebuild this team the right way in the vision of Brian Flores, but you pair those two things together and you ought to be downright giddy because Miami accomplished both of those things, and with the foundation foundation in place. Now the Dolphins can go shop for a snazzy new edge rusher or maybe the game-breaking tailback. They can import cogs on the offensive line and ball hawks in the secondary. They can then draft the very best player on the board and then do it again 14 more times and infuse this roster with young talent that fits the theme of the program and the schematics on the field. All the uncovered gems we learned about this season with Devontae Parker, Eric Rowe, and so forth and so on. It's an absolute bow-worthy performance from Mr. Ross, from Chris Greer, and Brian Flores and this Dolphins fan, this Dolphins podcaster, fanboy, blogboy, whatever the hell you want to call me, just could not be more excited 
even though the Dolphins lost some draft capital by winning a couple of these games, as the draft order up top is now final, Miami will pick fifth behind the Bengals, Washington, Detroit, and the Giants. Miami then slots in at five ahead of the Chargers and Panthers. So a couple of potential quarterback needy teams right behind Miami. Could they have to go up to three to Detroit if they want to get their quarterback? We'll see about that. But the Dolphins can just pick the best players. Beyond that, the Pittsburgh pick lands now at number 18. So it works its way into the top 20. And the Houston pick right now is settled in at number 25. But that could increase or decrease depending on how they perform on wildcard weekend. We are Bills fans next weekend during the playoffs but that's the final draft order the Dolphins of course will then have a pick early in the second round and again a second pick in that second round from the New Orleans Saints we'll see where that winds up but Miami are set to have six picks in the top 60 of this upcoming deep draft at some very important positions of need for Miami I just think it's time that we trust in this front office trust in this coaching staff because they can find production from guys like Tay Hayes they can go get a guy off waivers and Zach Sealer and get them performing what do you think they're going to do when they have a bunch of talent infused in this roster again we should all be very very excited and lastly here if you don't think the top line free agents might want to come to Miami what about Yannick Ngakwe's Instagram story which was just a photo of Jason Taylor in his 99 legendary uniform for the Miami Dolphins. It sounds like Ngakwe wants out and will not play on a franchise tag if he gets it. That should be Miami's top priority and they can go out and attract all these free agents to come play in this program that's demanding yet rewarding with coaches that get the best out of their players but also command the ultimate respect. It's just an ideal landing place for any player in this league. And it certainly is going to make for a fun, fun offseason. Before we go ahead right now and do our final segment here, the Clemson-Ohio State review, which was the best game I've seen in the college football playoff era, even better than Alabama and Clemson because there was more defense and it was more hard-hitting and throwback style. We have to make a note that Ryan Tannehill and the Tennessee Titans helped give the Dolphins a top 20 pick with that Pittsburgh pick. Of course, the Steelers did lose the game, but Tennessee goes up and beats the Texans pretty much from the first gun all the way to the end and Ryan Tannehill has this stat to write home about. He had better than nine yards per pass on the season and he completed better than 70% of his passes. The last time that happened in the NFL was 1989 and it was Joe Montana. Take a bow, Tannehill. You've earned it. Clemson, Ohio State. What a freaking game this was. Those two quarterbacks are going to go one and two in 2021. They're going to have three other guys that probably go in the top five or six of the draft this year with Isaiah Simmons, with Chase Young, and with Jeff Okuda. NFL talent at all levels of the field on both sides made it feel like a professional football game and I just can't talk about how much fun I had watching this game Trevor Lawrence is a golden armed god my goodness I would do crazy things to get that guy in Miami I would take either of these two running backs in the first round and you might expect a Josh Jacobs like statistical impact from those guys on this team the explosiveness to really hit the window and say goodbye once they show them your taillights they can catch the football they can make an impact in the passing game whether it's blocking or catching Travis Etienne, J.K. Dobbins, those guys are worthy of first-round picks, and I would not at all be objective to going out and getting one of those guys behind a better offensive line and build this offense for 2020 around Ryan Fitzpatrick. Maybe it's Jordan Love as your groomed quarterback. Maybe it's a quarterback in 2021, but man, you could really remake this running game around a back like J.K. Dobbins or Travis Etienne. Chase Young, still the best player in the draft, but maybe Isaiah Simmons is giving him a run for his money. All game long, he's playing the deep half of the field the middle third and deep coverage, single high safety in his 
range rewards him in this game with a great interception breaking on the ball from the far hash. He can blitz, he can man cover, he can defend the edge in the run game. A special, special player that I don't think comes around very often, if ever at all. I think Damon Arnett, the cornerback, could be a fit here for Miami. Kevin Dern, you all know him. He made a comment that I said, I told him that Arnett's a little too grabby, but Kevin mentioned that's kind of how Xavier Howard played in college. Maybe he could come in here and compete with the same intensity. And Sean Wade, he left the game on that targeting call. And you all saw just how important he was to that Ohio State Buckeyes defense, both in this game and the Michigan game. That's when the offense for Clemson got cranking. He is an elite slot cover guy. Jeffrey Okuda, I just have one word, elite. That guy's a top five pick. I think Devon Hamilton would be a great interior presence pick, a playmaker at that spot. And last but not least, Malik Harrison looks like a future Dolphin Patriot line. A great fit to beat blocks, rush the passer, drop in coverage, do multiple things at that linebacker position. My last note was that Fields should be picked second in next year's draft behind Trevor Lawrence. And if Tua goes back to school and you have a choice of those three guys, I mentioned Miami could get into the top three, would be a very doable act. I wasn't talking about losing games intentionally. I expect Miami to win more games next year than they lose. I'm talking about trading up with more draft capital than any anybody else has right now. The Dolphins could go back next year conceivably if Tua comes back and get a crack at one of those three elite quarterback prospects. All right, we are way over time. I've got plenty of ideas for the future, a position a day. We're going to review a position, talk about the best options in the draft and free agency, preview all that fun stuff, the film, the stats, the analytics. It's going to be a fun next four months, guys. And I am so, 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 so very excited about the direction of this team. Five and four over the last nine games. That's a playoff record. If that was the first half of the season, you're talking about a playoff push for this Dolphins team. Just think about how crazy, how insane that is. As for my time today, that's going to be it. You all, please be sure to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts. Leave us a rating. Leave us a review. Check out the other Locked On Sports family of podcasts for all the local and national coverage of your favorite teams. Follow me on Twitter at Wingfield NFL. Follow the show at Locked On Fins. Keep up to date on the Daily Dolphins blog over at LockedOnDolphins.com. Your home for all Dolphins offseason acquisitions and moves. You guys have a great rest of your night. We'll talk to you again tomorrow for another edition of the Locked On Dolphins podcast, your daily dose for Miami Dolphins football. Fins up.